Hey kids, it's Thursday, so you know what time it is. That's right. It's time for another Just Another Fanboy Classic episode. This week we have episode number 22, which was originally released on Wednesday, January the 24th, 2007. And I may have said this before, but this episode seems to be, I mean, at least to me, listening to these shows 15 years later, this episode seems to be where the show really starts coming together. I mean, most everything up to this point has been very, very scripted. And this episode is no exception, but I feel like I'm doing a better job at mixing in the non-scripted stuff with the scripted stuff. But you know what? I'll just let you be the judge. Enjoy the show. You're listening to Just Another Fanboy, the only podcast that demands your attention and unconditional love. Just Another Fanboy is a Lynx Broadcasting production. Lynx, like the cat. Just like a comic book! Just like a comic book! Welcome to episode number 22 of Just Another Fanboy. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, January 23rd, 2007, and frankly is bored to tears with doing these silly little introductions each week. But hey, I'm your host Steven, and I'll be doing my best to guide you through this auditory conundrum that is my simple podcast. And I gotta say right off the bat that my back freaking hurts. I'm, I'm in my 30s, and my back hurts. I've got the back of a 70-year-old man. I mean, I'll just be walking across a room, a flat, a nice flat level surface, just walking, strolling, and then all of a sudden, hey, my back just freezes up on me, and I'm stiff, stiff as a board. That's what I'm telling you. But it really came to a head last year about this time when we had a big uh, ice storm in Kansas. And I thought I'd be the smart guy and, and wake up the morning after the ice storm and step off my front porch. Well, needless to say, I hit that first step and zwing, boom, and I hit my lawn. I'm at the top of the step one instant. The next instant, I'm sliding. I'm sliding across my front lawn on my back, my legs and my arms flailing. I look like a turtle, okay? Somebody could have come along and just kind of went zing, spun me around like a turtle. And ever since then, the back's been worse and it's, it's been pretty bad all week long. So if in the middle of the show, I all of a sudden just go, hey, that's my back. Just don't worry about it. Call 911. That's all I'm saying. But hey, you know what? I'm ready to go. Got started a little late tonight. It's about, uh, it's about 10, 10 minutes to 10 in the PM. And one of the probably biggest mistakes I make when I podcast each week is that I edit as I record. You know, some folks, some of you veteran podcasters out there, you just throw that mic in front of you and you just sit in front of it for a half hour, an hour, and you just speak it, baby. You have the, you have those skills. You're skilled, baby, and you just speak it. Me, on the other hand, I got to edit as I record, and that makes the night very lengthy indeed. So I, I'll tell you what I'll do. At the end of the show, I will tell you what time it is. So you can see, you know, 30 minutes from now, your time, you'll see how long it actually takes me to record this show. But 
You know, frankly, I'm ready to go. I've got my two key ingredients to keep me going until the wee hours of the night. Ingredient number one is my vanilla frappuccino. Oh, that's the good stuff right there. To go along with that vanilla frappuccino is a little bag of powdered donuts. So take it from the fat man, ladies and gentlemen. Frappuccino, little powdered donuts. It'll keep you going until the wee hours. But So we're ready to roll. Let's just get this sucker moving already, and let's just get on with the little listener's feedback. Yay, yay. And we kick off this week's feedback with some voicemails, so let's play them. Call in the voice line, call in the voice line, call in the voice line, dun-dun-dun-dun. Oh, yeah, you'll play this one. Bye-bye. <laughs> I am obviously not the only one rocking the Frappuccino into the wee hours of the night. I'm not sure who that was, but I loved it. Thank you for the voicemail. I love the voicemail. It wasn't as good as I like eggs, but you know what? It was still pretty good. It was tasty. It was some tasty grooves. So let's <laughs> let's just move on to the next one. Hi, Steve. This is Kevin. Been looking forward to episode number 22. Um, I did actually go back and read the stuff that you're going to be uh, reviewing. Um, I had to go back and read Justice League of America 3, 4, and 5. Thank you for that. That was a good time. That was some great writing by Brad Meltzer. Um, looking at Justice number nine, that's also a solid read. This was an awesome week for you with Astonishing X-Men 19. Um, and i got to say, the Exterminators trade, even though it's not current, um, that new stuff with the Doctor, if you get the, the current issues, that's really good as well. Well, here's one of your stalkers signing off. Bye. Hey, 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 I got me some stalkers. That's awesome. That's Kevin, everybody. Kevin, everybody, everybody. Kevin, glad to get you all together. Um, Kevin is actually referring to some books I'll be reviewing this week. Uh, what I've been doing since moving over to the Geek Speak boards over at cgspodcast.com slash forum. That's where you're, that's where you will find the Just Another Fanboy forum. Uh, I've been posting some pre-show threads in which I'm letting everybody know what books I'm going to be talking about in future episodes. So if you wanted to give your thoughts, your opinions on those books, bad, good, doesn't matter, you can email me, you can call into the voice line, you can even reply to the threads there on the board. Uh, I will. I am going to say, Kevin, you're probably going to hate me for this, and I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for it, but I'm actually not... I'll just talk about it here, okay? I wasn't really a big fan of the Exterminators. Uh, I didn't finish the trade. Um, I'm not a prude by any means. I've enjoyed books like Preacher in the past. But I don't know. I just thought this was just a little bit too over the top for me after reading through the first issue. Just a little bit too much graphic violence. Too much smut. You know, I, I don't know. It just it didn't do anything for me. So. I put the book down, and I'm actually not going to review it this week. I'm just going to skip the whole Stephen's book back this week. So I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for that. Don't care. You can't judge me. Don't care. So we'll just move along to a uh, an email sent in by uh, Chris Parton, our new regular email writer. 
He's also the man behind ComicAddiction.com, and he writes, Hey guys, Stephen, as always, one of the funniest podcasts I listen to. Keep up the great work. Norman, Gary had to pay for my screw-up, old man. Just you wait. Oh, yeah. Good segment on call centers, though, in episode 21. Oh, thanks. Gary, my apologies, kid. Oh. I can't believe I got you and Norman mixed up. Oh, Please yeah. accept my apologies. Oh, that, that, that's okay, man. I mean, that, that, he's, he's a pretty nice guy. Yeah, yeah. He, 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 oh, he, he is a nice guy. Yeah, and I like uh, that uh, I like that website of his, too, that comicdiction.com. <clears throat> <clears throat> oh, okay, all right. Um, all right, gee. All right. trying to take over my show. Let's slide on over to news and information you could have easily gotten for yourself with just a little effort. This week's news and information you could have easily gotten for yourself with just a little effort is brought to you by Friend in a Phone, in the business of helping you maintain a sense of importance. Statistical analysis shows that 47% of all those people you see every day talking on a cell phone are actually talking to no one at all, and are in fact having conversations with themselves in order to exude the appearance of importance. What we do here at Friend in a Phone is to take this facade to a whole new level by providing you with a live person to talk to. Choose the right package, and we'll even call you, which can really make you look important, especially at family gatherings or high school reunions. Friend in a phone. Give them a call, and they'll give you a call. All statistics are unverified and have simply been created out of thin air by the Statistical Fallacy Group. Frank Frazetta and Image Comics present the definitive story of Frank Frazetta's Death Dealer. The iconic paintings are brought to life like never before in this epic tale of fantasy and horror. Critically acclaimed novelist and comics writer Joshua Ortega teams up with cult favorite artists Nat Jones and Jay Fotos to bring you the first Death Dealer tale worthy of Frazetta's blessing. This one's been approved every step of the way by the master himself. Frank Frazetta's Death Dealer is the story of two warring kingdoms and a mythical order that seeks peace between them. 900 years ago, the land of Iparasia was ravaged by war between the kingdoms of Oro and Idani. As battles raged out of control, a black rider began to appear, laying waste to both sides of the conflict, killing the greatest warriors as easily as the untrained combatants. This unconquerable rider was known as the Death Dealer. The kings of Oro and Edani recognized that if they did not end this war, the Black Rider would destroy them all. A treaty was signed in blood, and the Death Dealer disappeared into the primeval forest. Legend says that as long as Oro and Edani are at peace, the Black Rider will sleep. However, after ages of peace, the specter of war has raised its bloody head once again, and the Death Dealer will not be far behind. So throw in your helmet and pick up your axe. The Death Dealer is coming in April. Frank Frazetta's Death Dealer carries a cover price of $3.99, ships April 11th, and is available through Diamond Previews. It features variant covers by Nat Jones, Jay Fotos, and the legendary Frank Frazetta. Excitement over the premiere issue of Stephen King's Dark Tower, The Gunslinger Born, is reaching a fever pitch. With Dark Tower expert Robin Firth and New York Times bestselling author Peter David scripting the story, and eye-popping art provided by Jay Lee and Richard Eisenhove, Stephen King's Dark Tower, The Gunslinger Born Number 1 is the perfect introduction to an incredible world of fantasy crafted by Stephen King himself. As if the premiere of this new comic series wasn't enough, the first issue is jam-packed with extras and supplemental materials, including an exclusive prose short story written by Robin Firth. In addition to 31 pages of story by the main team of Robin Firth, Peter David, Jay Lee, and Richard Eisenhove, 
The issue boasts a map of New Canaan, a preview of issue number two, and an exclusive story of Roland and his friends as they learn how their worlds came into being, all accompanied with spot illustrations by Jim Califor and June Chung. Weighing in at 48 pages, this first issue features all content with no outside advertising and the kind of features Dark Tower fans will not want to miss. Stephen King's Dark Tower, The Gunslinger Born Number 1, is a unique experience for fans of King, The Dark Tower, and comics. Do not miss this instant classic. The crime comic renaissance started by Warren Ellis's Fell, Ed Brubaker's Criminal, and Michael Avon Oming's The Cross Bronx continues this April in Unravel, an all-new four-issue miniseries from Image Comics and Shadowline. Written by Dan Wickline and art by Humeros Gilani, Unravel begins with a stormy night foot pursuit through Central Park, leaves Officer Lindsay Shaw at the mercy of an amnesiac stranger. Attempts to identify the mystery man point to a connection with a decade-old cold case murder that is not only unlikely, but seemingly impossible. Thrust into a case where nothing makes sense, Shaw must figure out how her case ties to a man killed while in police custody and then convicted posthumously of murder. Featuring twists, turns, shady characters, deceptions, and people trying to do good in the worst of circumstances, Unravel gives fans of crime comics exactly what they want and is certain to keep readers guessing all the way through to the end. Unravel number one, a 32-page comic with a cover price of $3.50, is available for order in the March issue of Diamond Previews with a ship date of April 25th. And on DVD this week, The Invincible Iron Man, Pure 80s DVD, Headbangers Rule, that's on my Netflix queue, by the way, and Walker, Texas Ranger, Season 2, 7-disc series, which is not in my Netflix queue. And that was this week's news and information you could have easily gotten for yourself with just a little effort. And now for my comic book, Picks of the Week. And beware, there be spoilers. First up this week from DC Comics is Justice League of America number five. This is part five of The Tornado's Path. It's entitled Born Again, and it's written by Brad Meltzer with art by Ed Benes and inks by Sandra Hope and Ed Benes. Rob Lay is the letterer. Alex Sinclair is the colorist. Janine Schaefer is the associate editor, and Eddie Berganza is the editor. We find that the mastermind throughout this whole fiendish plot to capture the android body of the Red Tornado is none other than Solomon Grundy in a suit. Apparently, old Solomon is just dang tired of dying and then coming back to life all the time and has chosen the Red Tornado's body as a path to immortal life. But something goes wrong when our heroes bust up the show. The android body was being turned into a mazo because Solomon Grundy needed the robot to protect his body as he prepared for immortality. But a mazo escapes, and the League now needs Solomon's help to stop a mazo. I tell you, this series just keeps getting better and better. 
You know, I don't mind dropping books like Checkmate when I know I have titles like this to read each month. So if you're not reading the Justice League, shame on you. Shame on you. Next up to bat, also from DC Comics, is Justice Number 9. This is written by Jim Kruger and Alex Ross, with art by Doug Braithwaite and Alex Ross. Todd Klein is the letterer, Michael Wright is the associate editor, and Joey Cavalieri is the editor. The Justice League has determined that all the bad dudes out there are using teeny tiny robots created by Brainiac to control all the heroes. Well, the League just won't take that, and using the help of the Metal Men, they construct armor to shield each member of the League from the controlling robotic virus. Once the team is all armored up, they set out to take the battle to Luther and all his various cronies. There's also a great battle between Captain Marvel and Black Adam, as well as Mary Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr., who are under control of the robotic virus. Now, I just can't say enough good things about this book. I just really can't. It's a great story, beautiful, gorgeous art. The only bad thing I can say is that it's just a shame that this book only comes out once every two months. If you haven't gotten in on this one and you like classic Justice League tales, then I do suggest looking for the trade when it comes out because you will not be disappointed. My final pick for this week comes from Marvel Comics and is The Astonishing X-Men number 19. This is part one of Unstoppable and is written by Joss Whedon with art by John Cassidy. Laura Martin is the colorist. Joe Carmagna is the letterer, Sean Ryan is the assistant editor, Nick Lowe and Andy Schmidt are the associate editors, and Axel Alonso is the editor. The X-Men, along with Ord and that freaky Danger Room robot chick, are taken aboard a sword ship destined for Ord's home planet, the Breakworld. See, the Breakworld psychics have searched for the X-Man that they claim is destined to destroy the Breakworld, and that X-Man, it seems, is Colossus. Now, the Breakworld have sent an armada to Earth to destroy it, thus killing Colossus. And the folks from S.W.O.R.D. thought that by kidnapping Colossus and his fellow X-Men and rocketing them towards the Breakworld would draw the Breakworld ships off their course toward Earth as they're just after Colossus anyway. And the plan seems to fail as the multitude of ships catch up to them and open fire, thus leaving the issue at a cliffhanger. Now, I'm not a big X-Men fan, but this book is da bomb, yo. Sorry. Anyway, as the guys from the Quiet Panelologists at Work podcast would say, I read Astonishing X-Men number 19. It was good. And thus ends my comic book picks of the week. You got your own picks? Well, I implore you to let us know. Be a part of the show. Email them to me at justanotherfanboy at gmail.com. Or better yet, send in your voice. Call the voicemail line at one eight seven seven three zero nine eight three six seven extension 212. Then you can be cool, like me. And now at the movies with Gary, Indiana. This week, I'd like to take a look at what very well may be the only movie out there where an attempted suicide makes the main character a hero. 
Howdy y'all, Gary and Deanna here, and watching my DVD player this week? Why, it's the Dances with Wolves Special Extended Edition DVD. John Dunbar is a soldier fighting for the Union in the Civil War. When a wound may cost him his foot, he steals a horse and rides down the enemy line, hoping to get shot and killed. Instead, the rebels are paying so much attention to this crazy Yankee that they don't notice the Union Army sneaking up on them, blasting them out of their position, and winning this one battle which has been stalemated for some time. In reward for his bravery, he is seen by the general's private surgeon, who fixes his foot up. He's given the horse Cisco, that's the one that he's stolen, and for some reason makes me think a thong, the thong, thong, thong. I'm sorry. Anyway, and he is given his choice of posts. He chooses Fort Sedgwick, a small post out on the frontier. Upon arriving at Fort Sedgwick, Dunbar discovers that the fort has been abandoned, and like any sane human being, like the kind who would rather die than lose a foot, Dunbar decides to stay in this remote wilderness and man the fort alone. He is soon discovered by a tribe of Sioux Indians, and a quick friendship is formed. As the movie progresses, Dunbar gives up entirely his life as a Union soldier and becomes part of the Sioux Indian Nation. As the Sioux Nation prepares to head for their winter camp, Dunbar makes one last trip to Fort Sedgwick to retrieve his journal. Union soldiers, however, now occupy the fort and capture him. Upon learning of his abduction by Union soldiers, Sioux warriors attack the soldiers escorting Dunbar back east, killing most of them and rescuing Dunbar. Now I have to admit, I'm not ashamed to admit, that I am a Kevin Costner fan. Though I don't like all of his movies, such as Waterworld, and I haven't seen all of his movies, I do like each and every western that he has been in. Dances with Wolves has always been a favorite of mine, and the special extended edition just makes this movie better. You learn why Fort Sedgwick has been abandoned. You see, he stands with fists crying over the body of her dead husband, and you see a scene in which the Sioux are dancing around a fire in celebration of the killing of a couple of white buffalo hunters. Now that scene really made the move, movie for me, and I can't figure out why they took it out of the theatrical release. Taking out the scene where you learn why the soldiers left the fort makes sense, it lends an air of mystery to the movie when Dunbar shows up to the fort and it is found abandoned. Why did they leave? Why were the soldiers living in holes on the side of the hill? I can even understand why they removed the scene with stands with fists crying over the body of her dead husband. Again, it adds an air of mystery when we first meet her kneeling under a tree singing with a knife in her hand and blood all over her. But the removal of the dance for the death of the white hunter scene baffles me. See, without that scene, the movie pretty much portrays the Sioux as the good Indians and the Pawnee as the bad Indians. In the special extended edition, John Dunbar witnesses a celebration by the Sioux in which they are dancing around a fire holding up sticks with several hands lashed to them. Dunbar, after seeing the buffalo hunter's wagon in the Sioux village, realizes that the Sioux have killed a couple of white buffalo hunters and are now celebrating this fact. His uneasiness at the spectacle forces him to sleep outside the village as he will not be part of the act. By seeing this scene, we realize that the Sioux aren't necessarily good, nor are they bad. They are humans who are trying to deal with the fact that strangers from another world have come to their land and are there to stay, and they are dealing with it the only way they know how. The interaction between Dunbar and the Sioux are a great example of the difference between the white man and the Indians. They are truly alien to each other. I also love the scene where Dunbar goes out with his Sioux friends to hunt buffalo. This is a scene that makes my heart race. 
The roar of the buffalo as the thousands run from the few Indians in Dunbar who ride among the thunderous herd, picking off just a few at a time. Quite invigorating. I'd love to go back in time and try it. I guess what I'm saying is that even though I like the theatrical version of Dances with Wolves, the special extended edition kicks some rump. Thank you. And now for 30 seconds of nonsense. One day I think that I shall raise muskrats to sell to the Russians for use in deep water diving tests. Muskrats are great at deep water diving, what with their snorkel-like nasal appendages. Not much is truly known about the mighty muskrat. For example, few are privy to the knowledge that the muskrat can hold its breath for well over 36.5 hours, which makes them perfect for deep space exploring as they don't really need the suit to go out and make repairs to the ship. One other fact not known about the mighty muskrat is the fact that... 30 Seconds of Nonsense is brought to you by Keystone Waste Management, where their trash is Metropolis's trash, which in turn is Gotham's trash. And now for The View from Norman, Oklahoma, a weekly segment in which our resident bitter old fanboy pisses and moans about the state of the comic book industry, or just about anything that generally pisses him off. Ladies and gentlemen, Norman, Oklahoma. call center has taught me many things about myself and the world around me. Sitting in my cramped little cubicle talking to your average Joe and your plain Jane, conversing for eight hours a day with individuals from all walks of life, arguing semantics with your mother or father. All of this has made me a much better person in regards to dealing with most people I interact with, especially over the phone. The last week we talked about the types of callers I used to speak with on a daily basis, and I asked, No, I begged you not to be one of these people when using the phone. And now I feel it's time to continue the lesson. Some of this will be a repeat of what was reviewed last week, but it only bears repeating. As after 20-some-odd years and millions of calls, I feel that I am in a place in my life where I can counsel others on proper etiquette when speaking over the phone and to stop as many people as possible from making the same mistakes that seem to happen so very often. School's in session, ladies and gentlemen. Take notes. There may be a quiz after the lesson. Lesson number one. Be clear and concise, but try not to elaborate. When the operator takes your call, provides you with their standard greeting, and then asks you what they can do to help you, tell the operator exactly what you need without going into a long, drawn-out story that explains why you need the information. Because most helplines are set up for a specific purpose, or to give out specific information on a specific subject, the explanation does nothing more than to take up your time as well as the operator's. This is a time the operator could use to look up the answer to your question or even to move on to another caller who happens to be waiting patiently for the next available operator. Let's say, for example, that you need to make a call to your local bookstore to check if they have any copies of Horton Hatches and Egg. What you want to do is just simply ask the question, Do you have any copies of Horton Hatches and Egg? To which the clerk can simply answer yes or no, thrusting the conversation into a whole new area of ordering the book or holding it, depending on the answer. What you want to avoid is to tell the clerk why you want the book. 
The clerk has better things to do with their time than to sit on the phone and listen to you recite a story about the first time your father read the book to you and the thoughts and feelings that were running through your head at the time and how this reading was the only time you truly felt close to your father and you hope that if you buy a copy of the book and send it to him by Federal Express that maybe, just maybe, you can try to reconnect with the father you haven't spoke to for 10 years due to a falling out over an argument regarding the exchange rate of Canadian currency over American. Don't do this. This is just five minutes of that poor clerk's life that they will never get back. Lesson number two. If you think that the operator is going to ask you to provide something in particular, make sure that that something in particular is right there in front of you before you make the call. Nothing irks me more than when I ask a caller for their social security number and they say, I knew you were going to ask for that. Hold on while I go raffle through my filing cabinet upstairs for it. Now, I understand that as a first-time caller to a particular help center, that you may not be privy to what information the operator is going to need from you in order to help you with your problem. However, if you think that they might ask you for something, be it social security number, date of birth, or even shoe size, make sure that you have that information within reach before you even think of dialing that phone. Again, this comes down to the point of wasting valuable time while you run off to some unknown location within your place of residence and ransack your bedroom, den, or office looking for what you had a feeling you needed in the first place but failed to have with you. Remember the Boy Scout motto, people. Be prepared. Lesson number three. Do not volunteer information. Some call centers will need to ask you for some personal information in order to access a file regarding an order status or other such databases. When asked for your last name, give the operator your last name, nothing more. Could I get your last name, please? Does not mean, could you give me your last name, first name, middle initial, date of birth, primary place of residence, mother's maiden name, hometown, weight, shoe size, and your theory on the afterlife, please? If the operator needs additional information, they will ask for it. You are not helping in any way by giving the operator more than what they have asked for. Lesson number four, O or zero. When an operator asks you for your phone number, social security number, date of birth, or any other series of numbers, and that series contains the number zero, then please say zero, not O. Now this won't make the call go any quicker or easier. This is just a personal quirk of mine. O is a letter, zero is a number. Let's move on. Lesson number five, do not eat over the phone. My mother has always said, never talk with your mouth full. It's disgusting as well as rude. Let's all please listen to my mother and don't eat over the phone. Let me clue you in on a little something. The part of the phone that you speak into is basically a little microphone that takes any sound which is directed towards it and projects that sound to a tiny speaker, which is the part of the phone that is next to your ear. In other words, when you bite into a BLT and chew the crunchy bacon and crispy lettuce, slurping and smacking your lips as you go, I can hear every tiny little nasty bit of it. I'm sorry, but dang, that's just plain nasty. How about I come by your place of business and follow you around with the megaphone pressed up against your ear while I eat a bag of chips into the receiving end? Sound good? No? Okay then, knock it off. Lesson number six. Do not call when you are using the restroom to expel bodily waste. I don't think I need to go into any detail here, do I? Okay. Lesson number seven. No sniffing. If you have to sniffle, blow your nose before you call. If you have a cold that causes you to sniff often, regardless of how many times you blow your nose, then please hold the phone away from your face and cover the receiver with your hand. 
Again, nasty. Lesson number eight. Turn your stereo down. It's a pretty simple premise. If your stereo or TV is up so loud that you can't hear what I'm saying, turn it down. That's not so hard, is it? If you're trying to impress me with the rockin' tunes or fat beats you have emanating from your kick-ass stereo, consider me unimpressed, dumbass. Lesson number nine. Be sincere. If you take the time to ask me how I'm doing, then take the time to listen to my response before you barrel over me to get to the reason behind your call. If you don't wait for my response, then that makes you insincere. And frankly, I don't want to help you. Lesson number ten. Try not to cry. Nothing makes me lose interest in a call faster than when the caller starts crying. Knock it off. I don't feel sorry for you. If anything, I pity your family and friends for having to be around you all the time. Lesson number 11. Do not, under any circumstances, interrupt the operator. As an operator at a helpline, it is our job to answer your question. However, we find it difficult to do that when we are cut off in mid-reply so you can ask another question. Let us answer your first question before you ask any others, okay, Sparky? Lesson number 12. Like you, the operator is only human. Understand that we have limitations in our job. If you ask us to do something that is beyond our power, and we tell you politely that that is something we simply cannot do, and you choose not to believe us, fine. What I would suggest at that point is that you then take the operator's name and ask them if you can speak to their supervisor. If the supervisor then gives you the same answer, then it simply cannot be done. Why waste your time at that point, screaming and yelling and threatening the operator, supervisor, and the future of the call center? We, too, are just mere humans and can only do so much. Accept it and move on with your life. Well, that's all I got for you this week, folks. I hope you gained a little knowledge and you can now go out there into the world and call these help centers and be one of these nice callers that we like to hear. Thank you. See you next week. Well, thank you again, Norman, for another very informative segment. I know that I have learned a thing or two, and I'm going to stop saying O instead of zero. So, hey, why don't we do some bloopers? And is bored to death with doing these silly little introductions. I've always... This week's news and information you could have easily gotten for yourself with just a little effort is brought to you by Phone and a Phone and a Boo. Howdy y'all, Gary Indiana here in here. Hey ho, soldier boy. And now for this week, blah, blah, And so another episode thankfully comes to an end. You know how it goes, folks. Send me an email at justanotherfanboy at gmail.com and tell me what you think. Negative, positive, I'm going to read it. You can also call the Just Another Fanboy voice line at 1-877-309-8367, extension 212. And hey, as long as it's clean, I'll play that too. The theme song for the show is Comic Book by the Super Spies. Find it and information about the band at garageband.com. The rest of the music from this week's episode comes from the Pod Show Podsafe Music Network. Network? Man, that should have gone into bloopers. Network at music.podshow.com. So until next week, it's 1230. I'm Steven. And I'm just another fanboy.
Bye-bye, Daddy. Bye-bye, Daddy. Good job. Yeah.